Today, the Below Average Joe's MMA Show present the Weekend Preview. And we have a jam-packed weekend filled with Bellator 289, UFC 282, two massive fight cards to wrap up the pay-per-view portion of 2022. We are also talking about a former UFC champion retiring and the debut of one in the United States has been confirmed. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 255 of the show. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Noah Baker. I am coming to you from the great state of Indiana. The man to my right, the man to the west of me on your screen. That is Dominic Salee. He comes to us from the great state of Ohio. But Dominic, you are putting in a performance from a man that comes from the state of Illinois named Michael Jordan. This is Dominic's flu game, everybody. Yeah. How are you feeling, Dominic? Well, I apologize to the uh, audience if you're hearing this raspy voice. It's nothing great, but I'm going to I'm going to fight through it here for you guys, this lovely community. I'm not feeling great. I'm coming out of it though, this little illness going around everywhere. Plus, the dentist really banged up my mouth today. So it's just everything's kind of going sideways, but it all gets better when I sit down and talk MMA with this lovely man, Noah Baker. So I'm feeling pretty good, Noah, all things considered. How are you doing as we go into the weekend? I feel good, but I'm cautiously good because so many people around me in my circle have been getting sick, and I typically am always the one that gets sick. Yeah. So whenever I see everybody else getting it, I know that something's lurking in the shadows ready to just snatch me and give me infect me with whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm cautiously good, but I understand that there is a reckoning to come into my right. world here soon. I hope not. But you know, Dom, whenever you're having a bad day, you're you're sick, you're laying in bed, you don't want to get up and do nothing. Nothing. No laundry, no homework, no work. Mm. Nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what really gets me through those kind of days? What would that be? Our good friends at PointsBet Sportsbook, mm -hmm. who have a great offer to bring in the holidays for you, the listener, you, the viewer. May I recommend a little stocking stuffer, code yeah. MMA Joe's. Just put it on a little piece of paper. Put the put the PointsBet Sportsbook on there. Just put it in the stocking. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. It's a great low cost gift. Yes. You know? Yes, very. But uh Dominic, there are two actually I should probably say what the offer is. Points Bet Sportsbook is going to match on your initial deposit if you sign up right now, your they're going to match your initial deposit up to two thousand dollars, one hundred percent of that Ooh. deposit. Not I'm a little clunky getting through it this time, but I keep going off the script and then I'm just like all fucked up trying to get back to it. So right. 
There's only There are two ways you can make good on this offer. One, you go into the link in the description of today's episode. You follow that link. You sign up. You put in your deposit. It gets matched 100% up to $2,000. Yes. Or you can download the PointsBet Sportsbook app, sign up through the app, but make sure you use code. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Wait for it. MMA Joes. Ooh, MMA Joes. Yes, indeed. I won't make Dom repeat it, even though he kind of just did. But code MMA Joes that sign up, you put in that deposit, it gets matched 100% up to $2,000. So shout out to Drew Brees, shout out to Lightning, shout out to Points Bet Sportsbook. And with that, Dominic, let's talk about UFC 282, the main event of the evening. Of course, this was not our originally scheduled main event. We talked about that. I believe last Monday, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, I'm going to say yes. Yes. On Monday, I believe we talked about how Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira no longer on this card. Uh, that was originally scheduled. They were going to run it back from the fight this summer, the fight of the year, it seems like most people are saying right now. They were going to run it back. Unfortunately, Yuri has a very serious shoulder injury. Apparently, the UFC doctor said it's the worst shoulder injury he's ever seen. That doesn't sound good. But uh, the fill-in was offered to Glover to fight on Kalaev. He unfortunately declined uh, just due to the timing, and he wanted it to be in Brazil and stuff. So because of that, Glover's out, but he will be the number one contender waiting in the wings so because of that, Dom, Jan Blahovic and Magomed Ankalaev, our original co-main event, has been bumped up, and now it is for the light heavyweight strap. So this matchup immediately has higher stakes brought into it. It's it's no longer a number one contender fight. Now it's literally the contender. It's the champion fight now. So with the stakes raised... This is an interesting matchup, of course. Jan Blahovic, former light heavyweight champion, he lost his title a little less or a little more than a year ago at this point to Glover Teixeira. Uh, Jan had looked very good. He beat Israel Adesanya at light heavyweight, but then had a pretty lackluster performance against Glover, tapped pretty quick. Um, since then, had his comeback fight in the main event against Alexander Rakic. Looked good early, but of course Rakish messed up his leg. Uh, that fight it was stopped due to an injury in round two, I believe. So that's how Jan Blahovic ended up here. While Ankalaev has been a bit of a wrecking ball, he's done it a little. He's done it a bit. He's finally starting to get his his shine, his notice. He was in a main event back in the spring against Tiago Santos, but uh, he kind of quietly has just been wiping the floor with this light heavyweight division. And he seems to be another one of these guys that comes from that same part of Dagestan that is ready to take over the sport. So I'm curious, Dom. It seems like Ankalaev's getting a lot of the attention here because minus 280, um, the upside, the potential, what he's mm-hmm. done over his last couple years. So what does Jan Blahovich have to do to make that plus 225 a pick'em? Oh, that's a really good question, man, because when you see a 
a Dagestan fighter, you immediately want to say, well, Jan better stuff the takedowns. But we've seen from Ankalaev that he doesn't always just go to the grappling. He's willing to stand um, and have a stand-up fight, per se, for 25 minutes if he has to. And he does pretty good at it, too. He has a very high fight IQ, and he doesn't really put himself in danger. Jan Blachowicz does have power that I feel like Magomed hasn't got to face yet. So he is going to have to be more weary than what he usually is. I unfortunately believe that because of that, this fight could potentially be lackluster. I don't want to put that out in the air too much, but I just feel like we have to talk about it being a realistic possibility here. For Jan, you know, we saw him grapple against Izzy, but we're not going to see him try and do that against Magomed Ankalaev, so he literally is going to have to stand. And I just worry that if he can't land the Polish power, the big shot, I think it's honestly a hard fight for Jan Blachowicz to win, man. And he's proved us wrong time and time again during his run to become champion. But it just feels like for a long time now, people have thought Magomed Ankalaev was going to be a UFC champion, and now it's his time. He is one win away from having the gold around his waist. I, I can't see many possibilities where he actually loses this fight. No, I'm going to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, it's that's definitely in play. I feel very similar to you, but I have to recognize more than even you do that my battles with Jan Blahovich and the doubts I've had about him go way back. I mean, I'm talking before he held the title. Every time I expect Jan Blahovich to show up, he disappoints. But whenever I count him out, he excels. I counted him out every step of the way from Corey Anderson to to Dominic Reyes to Israel Adesanya. But I thought he was going to beat Glover Teixeira, and look what happened. So right. that puts me in an interesting predicament here, Dom, because I think Ankalaev, these odds feel very fitting. I think Ankalaev is a clear favorite here. Has more weapons to win, has an elite skill set, has the youth and an overall kind of um, explosiveness and, and I guess, athleticism to get the job done. But also, for being a guy with less experience than Jan Blahovic, it feels like his fight IQ is very comparable. He's a very yeah. smart fighter. Uh, his main event with Tiago Santos proved how good he is at avoiding danger but also landing very, very potent offense. You know, typically to land really good shots, to really get in the pocket and land something that can put someone away, you have to kind of put yourself in danger to do that. Ankalaev's very good at doing that, but it never feels like he's in danger because he's so smart with where he positions himself, how he defends himself, that even when... He is putting himself in the fire into danger to land a good shot. You wouldn't even know because he's so good with his defense and his fight IQ that it's really like he's not even in the pocket at all. So I do think Blahovich is going to have a hard time in this fight. That's why, Dom, I have to do it. I got to make a prediction right now. And because I think, because I favor Ankalaev to win this fight so strongly, I am picking strongly Jan Blahovich Polish power because I don't think Jan will win this fight. I think he will win this fight. 
No, I mean, I like the logic there, No, When in doubt, you just kind of have to use your ball sack every now and again and lay it on the table. Um, no, I yeah. understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like I said, he has proved us wrong time and time again when he's been at this uh, championship level. And it's not that I – I don't know. Like, he can land. And when he does, I think his power – I mean, it's not underrated anymore. And like I said, too, Magomed hasn't had to really face that. The only adversity he's faced – was against Paul Craig, and that was in a fight that he was winning all the way until the last second of the fight, and then he got submitted. So, you know, we may, in a sense, get to see Ankalaev truly be tested and face adversity at the championship level for the first time, and it just so happens to come in his first championship fight. Jan has that experience, the five-rounders, the better competition, um, all different varies of fight styles. So I, maybe the experience here may just be enough for Jan to find that wrinkle, that chink in Ankalaev's armor, and maybe that's where the Polish power lands, Noah. So with that, Dominic, we're going to move on to the co-main event of this card. Perhaps the people's main event, some would say. Maybe the most, the, the biggest reason to buy this card to many. Patty Pimblett featured in your co-main event versus Jared Gordon. Patty Pimblett, pretty heavy favorite as well, minus 260. And Jared Gordon's been around for a while. He's had some good wins, some tough losses. Uh, but, you know, he's a veteran for sure. I'm curious, Don, with Patty Pimblett, you know, I- I've had my thoughts on Patty Pimblett. I like Patty Pimblett, but I feel like I come off of the, as almost a hater because I don't quite see championship level ceiling potential. Um, I think some people disagree with me, but I think a lot of people that think he does more so look at the star power. Um, Mm -hmm. And people can tell me if they just disagree with that. But because of that, Dom, I want to know your thoughts coming in. Jared Gordon was a rumored opponent for Patty Pimblett, I believe, for his last fight. Um, Didn't end up happening. I think he even came out and said Jared Gordon was his opponent, and then it kind of got changed. So... At the time, I remember people being kind of surprised and thinking, oh, this might be too much too soon for Patty. But here we are six months later, and now Jared Gordon's back in this position. So is this going to be too much too soon for Patty Pimblett, or do you believe this is the right matchup for this time and place in Patty's career? No, I I think this is good. I I have really not had complaints for Patty's um, build thus far through his UFC career. He's 3-0 now, and I feel like he's getting, like, maybe between fight one and two, there wasn't necessarily a jump, but, like, from fight two to fight three, where he went to Jordan Lovette, there was a jump. And now, um, from Lovette to Jared Gordon, there is another jump, in my opinion. And it's another grappler that is very tough on the ground, much like Lavette. Now, I will say, of course, on the feet, I still think Patty um, has the advantage like I did in his last one. But I believe Gordon is more dangerous on the ground. I believe he's stronger on the ground than what Lavette was. So I'm enjoying this kind of slow rise for Patty. It's good step-ups in competition at the right time because he's still a 27-year-old fighter at the end of the day. So I like this. I think this is going to be a good test for him. It's his pay-per-view debut. So while he's been on big cards, the the London cards and whatnot, now you're getting to see what it's like to 
like Noah said, he's essentially carrying this pay-per-view. Let's just be honest here, people. He's the biggest name. Maybe not ranking-wise and legitimacy-wise yet. He's the biggest name that's carrying this UFC 282 card into Saturday. He's going to have to deliver. Co-main event slot for a reason. I think he's going to try and come out and put on a show. I think he's going to have to weather a storm, which he's had to do. And basically all three of his fights so far in the UFC, Gordon's not going to roll over. It's not going to come easy. I'll say this, if it does come easy for Patty, that's going to say a lot to me compared to like if the other three would have came easy. If he goes out there and starches Jared Gordon, mm. I'm ready for like a significant jump up, not just another little jump up, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, okay. I, I kind of see what you're saying. Um, I Unlike a lot of people who... I feel like I'm being grouped in with a lot of the people who've had their complaints about Patty's early run in the UFC. But I, I'd like to separate myself because I'm not upset or annoyed or disappointed in the matchmaking um, because my complaint is more with the... I guess it's not really a complaint with any one person or thing. It's more with the fans and, and the hype that he's been given. I understand the entertainment, the fight style's fun, the accent, the the look. Um, that's just going to lead more eyes to being on you. But I just don't believe the attention he's garnered matches up to the kind of level of fighter we're going to be talking about when it's all said and done. But... A lot of people are just mad about the matchmaking, and I'm really not. I think it's good because, again, I don't think he's necessarily a guy that's going to be fighting for a title eventually. So I'm not upset with some of these matchups early on. I don't think he's being handed easy matchups. I didn't think Jordan Levitt was an easy matchup. And uh, certainly Jared Gordon is not either. Now, if he does start or just make it a flawless performance against Jared Gordon... It'd be the first time he'd done it in his UFC career. So I guess that yeah. would be impressive. Um, I'm not quite ready to give him a significant jump. Again, I think it's kind of smart to slow build this and just keep riding the positive vibes and the good waves. You know, you got a big card coming up with it will be that just got announced for UFC 286. That's going to be in London. So I'm sure there may be some hope to put patty on that one and uh when that if that's done you know sure you could give him a top 15 level lightweight but boy are you sure you want to do that because you really look at the top 15 at lightweight and it is just killer after killer from 1 to 15 mm. it's one of the most stacked divisions in the whole ufc so we'll see but uh it would say something for sure if he could come out here it's his toughest matchup yet and if he put on his best performance yet, like he did against Jordan Levitt, it was a step up in competition, but that was arguably his best performance to date of the three. So if he does that again, then that shows he's really improving a lot faster than I had anticipated, and I'd have to give him props for that. So I'm definitely excited to see him, though. I like Patty. I think it's going to be electric when he comes out at Las Vegas. And... You know, Jared Gordon, I think's uh for real. I think he's uh not taking this matchup lightly, certainly, and 
has wanted this matchup for a while, and that could be an issue for Patty Pimblett, Dom. You know, he's simply trying to, you know, keep building that name for himself, getting his name out there, becoming a bigger star, advancing himself to more money and obviously world titles down the line. While, so he's not necessarily, that's his motivation for fighting and beating a guy like Jared Gordon. Is that enough? Of course it is. Jared Gordon here does not really have that in his uh, future, in his outlook. So for him, the motivation is to take this guy down a peg. The guy, the golden boy that the UFC have been hyping up, try to steal some of that shine from him and put it on himself. So there is going to be some added motivation on the corner of Gordon because you kind of can come in here. You've been sort of this middling guy. You're a veteran. You know, you've had some wins. You've had some losses. Never really, not really a big name. You're getting a huge opportunity here to kind of make a name for yourself. So it's going to be interesting to see how that motivation illustrates in the cage. Yeah, I like that. And I just want to say quickly, Noah, too, in a way, not an exact you know, word for word, same exact situation. But we're kind of witnessing Jared Gordon play the role of what Aaron Blanchfield did against Molly McCann at UFC 281. Now, Gordon, a veteran, been there. He's not some young up-and-coming prospect that's in the rankings or anything, but he is a guy that's still trying to get his name out there. And if he gets a win over Patty Pimblett, regardless of all of his other wins, while they may look better on paper in terms of like – the fight styles and what the other people have done name value wise this win goes farther than any win ever has for Jared Gordon as well yeah I don't really see that comparison to Aaron Blanchfield just because the odds like Aaron Blanchfield was heavily favored in that matchup with Molly McCann I get what you're saying oh yeah the name value but to me this would be the equivalent of if Hannah Goldie had beat Molly McCann Mm. back at London yeah you know Hannah Goldie you know she put some interesting pictures on her Instagram, but, you know, not exactly a household name. And if she were to go in there and it beat Molly McCann, all of a sudden she'd be a name you'd have to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, we have more on UFC 282 to come, but we're going to transition into Bellator 289. This is happening Friday on Showtime. Uh, we have our Bantamweight Grand Prix semifinals. Rafael Stotts taking on Danny Sabatello in your main event. This is, of course, for the interim championship. So this is um, the championship side of the bracket. And then we have Patchy Mix taking on Magomed Magomedov. So, Dominic, these two matchups, obviously Stotts and Sabatello have been getting much of the um, attention uh, they've been doing a lot of the legwork. They've been going on like the MMA hour and even Barstool Spitting Backfist had them on. And, you know, they're really promoting the shit out of this thing more than any other Bellator official is doing. Yeah. So thank those gentlemen for that. And even at the show we went to in Chicago, they brought him into the cage, had him face off. Uh, Danny Sabatello, you know, doing his thing, a uh, little shoving match and whatnot. Of course, building some interest. So, but when it comes to these two matchups, you know, what are you kind of on the lookout for? What X's and O's are you sort of 
interested to see how the matchups unfold. I mean, I'm still most excited for Stott Sabatello as well. Not that Mix and Magomedov isn't interesting. If anything, I almost feel like Mix and Magomedov is... Ooh, I might... I don't know if I want to say it. I was going to say it might be a little bit more high level, but honestly, both of these are very high level. But I just think in Stotts and Sabatello, Danny is this guy that doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks about him. He's going to go in there, he's going to implement his type of game plan to get a win. But that's led to five straight decision wins for him that haven't been the most exciting, you know what I mean? Stotts, while he's had a lot of decision wins to his own right, he's coming off a huge knockout win in his last fight against Juan Archuleta. So he's got more momentum here in terms of what he's doing in the cage. Sabatello has a lot of momentum in terms of building his personality, which is interesting when you look at all the decisions he's had. But I just wonder if he can go in here and really make a name for himself in the cage. Can he potentially even finish Hafeon Stouts? I just think that is such an interesting stylistic matchup. Two guys that are similar in stature, similar in skill sets with very good grappling on both sides. On the feet, I don't feel like I could... I mean, I'll give the power advantage to Stotts, but in terms of just tit for tat, I don't feel like Sabatello will get outclassed by any means. So I just feel like it's it's very intriguing as to how that's going to fill out. For Mix and Magomedov, basically the same. Like I feel like it's going to be a grappling contest. Who is going to overwhelm the other? Patchy, I think, has more ways to win in terms of on the feet, but Magomed's no slouch there either. These are the two highest level fights that I think Bellator can put on in the whole company right now. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So I, I what I will say is, of course, Stott Savatello is going to be kind of the more interesting matchup, I guess, just in terms of our personal excitement level. And there's good reason for that. Danny Savatello has talked a lot of shit. Uh, he's really been a guy that has kind of made a name for himself by using his mouth and He's backed it up by not necessarily the most exciting of performances, but performances that have showed how legit and good he really is. Now, he's really going to have to step it up a notch here against Stotts because, I mean, let's not forget how fine Stotts beat Magomed Magomedov a year ago, a little over a year ago. Uh, Stotts is, I know he's not technically the the full champion since Sergio Pettis was injured and was the champion and whatnot. But Stotts is fighting like the best Bantamweight in the whole company. And for Sabatello, who is admittedly shown himself to be one-dimensional but so elite at that one dimension, I think it's going to require a little bit more from his skill set than what we've seen so far to get the job done against a guy so diverse and exciting as Hafeon Stotts. Now, that patchy mix Magomed Magomedov matchup is very interesting because I've been very high on patchy mix for a while. Um, I think he's had some of the most decisive wins in this Grand Prix. And then you look at the win he had back uh, about a year ago against James Gallagher. Uh, looked really good there, even though I think he had missed weight for that fight. But regardless, the guy's big for Bantamweight. That's a given. Um, but Magomedov is, once again, another one of these guys that come from that same part of the world where we keep thinking every one of them is going to be a fucking 
killer and take over the sport. Magomedov looks terrific. But I think since he lost the Stads, I think some of the steam has slowed down. Some of the train, the Magomedov train has slowed down just a bit. And people yes. maybe aren't as, um, they're not looking at him like they were. At one time, he was being looked at the way like Usman or Magomedov is being looked at. And now I feel like that's taken a bit of a pause, a step back. But he could come in here and show like, no, that was... That was a not a fluke, but you know that was a one-off. Like I'm back, I'm still as legit as it gets. And if he were to dominate or finish Patchy Mix, I mean, just because Stad Sabatello is getting to shine, that's the title fight. You know, the winner of this fight's gonna have a hell of a time if one of these two and Mix or Magomedov come in and put up a hell of a show against the other. You know, this is not going to – don't feel like Stott Sabatello, the winner of that, is a given to win this whole tournament because it is far from the case. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And also on this card, we'll just mention Liz Carmouche, your women's flyweight champion, will be fighting the woman she took the belt from, Juliana Velasquez. You know, it was a nice moment for Liz Carmouche, Dom, when she won the belt because Carmouche had been – a pioneer of sorts in women's MMA. She had been there from day one. She was one of the initial women brought over to the UFC. She fought in the very first women's title fight in the UFC against Ronda Rousey, but had never won the big one. She had fought in strike force before that, never won the title there. UFC never won the title there. Comes over to Bellator, looked like she was never going to win the title there, but Went on a bit of a run, earned a shot against Velasquez, who a lot of people, including us, were high on. And it looked like she wasn't going to win again because she kind of got dominated for most of that fight. But, Tom, in like, I think round four, there was an opening. Um, Carmouche put Velasquez in a crucifix, was landing some good shots, and the ref steps in. Fight over. So what was a good, mo- what was a happy, feel-good moment for Liz Carmouche was sort of soured and ruined by the fact that it was a bit of an early stoppage. At least uh, that was the talk of the town, and because of that, they run it back here to prove if uh, if that win was a fluke or if Liz Carmouche is just that fucking chick. So I'm curious, Dom, when you break down this matchup, considering what we saw from the first fight, how much of that? Do you think we'll see in this fight the kind of fight we got the first time? Do you think we'll see something similar here? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, if and if my memory serves me correctly, and pardon me if you said this, and I could be repeating you, I got loopy brain today. Juliana was pretty much convincingly winning that fight for the most part too until that mm-hmm. opening happened there. Yeah, so in a way does Juliana kind of just come in with the same game plan, knowing the success she was having. She's a minus minus one eighty-five favorite coming into this, even though she doesn't have the title any longer for Liz. She has shown, I guess, newer wrinkles to be 38 years old. I mean, she's finished three of her four wins in Bellator, which I think is impressive, but uh, I, I almost feel like I need to see something else new. Otherwise Juliana will be able to make proper adjustments not even major adjustments, but just to ensure that she doesn't have herself in that crucifix position again. Because if she doesn't put herself there, she possibly goes on and just defends that belt and she's in still. So Carmouche, I almost wonder, does she have to be more assertive? Does she have to be more aggressive like we've seen her do in these other Bellator wins? Maybe that catches Velasquez off guard. 
if Carmouche decides to kind of be a little slower again, I don't know if Velasquez will allow the openings to happen two fights in a row. So that's what I'm going to keep my eye on for uh, in this rematch here. I was hoping you would talk for just a second longer while the odds pop back up because I don't know who's the favorite for this matchup. Um, it's Juliana Velasquez minus one eighty five. Yeah, so it finally kind of comes across after I asked the question. So it seems like the audience favors that, or not the audience, the people in Vegas, the the the, the smart people that put these odds together. They seem to favor that first matchup as being a bit of a fluky, um, kind of just one in a thousand shot to win, took it, got it, had some help from the ref kind of stepping in quickly. I think at the time we both kind of thought that even if it hadn't been stopped right away, it didn't look like she was going to be getting out of that. Like it looked like they were, you know, it was just going to be more damage. If I remember right, I think that's how we felt. That's the issue with doing this podcast is you can't really hide how you felt at the time. There's proof out there. So uh, if people want to bring receipts and show me how I really feel about this, I you know will welcome it. But um, I, I tend to favor that as well. It's hard to look at past Juliana Velasquez. But, Dom, there is a serious thing to consider, and that's Juliana Velasquez looked so good when she won the belt from longtime champion Aline Malay McFarlane. But in her two title fights since then, even with the way she was beating Liz Carmouche, I don't remember walking away from that fight saying, even if she had won a five-round decision, I don't. I don't think my takeaway would have been, man, what a, what an awesome performance from Juliana Velasquez. There seems to be a dynamic growing where. She's sort of underperforming in these title matchups. You know, she did against Denise Kielholtz. And then in that first matchup with uh, Carmouche, she couldn't put her away. She won outright for four rounds or three rounds. And then round four gets caught in a crucifix. Like out of all the positions you could be caught in, it's the worst one. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of that narrative developing in my mind. Almost kind of what Rose has had a little bit where maybe she's just better when she's chasing the title than when she's actually the champion, which I guess would favor her in this matchup (laughs) now that I think about it. Right. But, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see, Dom. So excited for that one, of course. We will move on to some headlines going on right now. Former two-time Bantamweight division champion of the UFC, TJ Dillashaw, has officially retired from the sport of MMA. I'm sure a lot of people kind of thought this one might be coming. Um, I want to ask you a question before we get into, actually let's start with the weirdness of this announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, Ariel Hawani and and I think Mike bomb and people like that had came out and said, reported that TJ had been taken out of the rankings. He had informed the UFC that he was retiring. It was a done deal. He's done. He's retired. And then out of nowhere, Mike Baum came out and corrected it and said that he was told by a UFC staffer that TJ Dillashaw was not retired. Mm. And then it turned out he actually was retired. So mm. the only way that I could imagine TJ Dillashaw going out was with an absolute shit show of a retirement that really wasn't even his fault, I'm sure. But um, as ter- in terms of his legacy, 
We have a very interesting uh, case study here yeah. for TJ Dillashaw. Yeah. When the dust settles, Dom, I don't want you to look at our personal feelings because I know you know we 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 feel a certain way. Sometimes we feel differently than the majority. Sometimes we fall in line with the majority. So take our feelings out of it. When the dust settles years down the line, let's say a decade from now, is TJ Dillashaw's legacy going to be more remembered as one of the best bantamweights of all time, two-time champion, or is it going to be the steroid scandal that sort of derailed his career and ultimately the final fight being one that was, uh, he went in with a very serious injury and um, it almost kind of, Funny enough how that injury sort of derailed you just soon after you had the old James Krause situation that happened. So uh, I'm kind of curious what side do you think he'll be more remembered for when the dust settles? Uh, I think unfortunately for the the general public, the more casual audience, and it's going to keep building as time goes on, I think it'll be the latter, unfortunately, for him. Um, I think these last three years essentially have not, been good for TJ's career and for his legacy with the um, obviously he cuts down the weight after talking a lot of trash loses to Henry then it comes out he was on EPO he serves that suspension so he did his time right as Chell says when he talks about it but then he comes back gets a win over Corey Sanhagen but a lot of people didn't think he won that fight but it earned him a title shot even after a long layoff from an injury then he gets the title shot goes into it with a shoulder injury gets beaten there and a lot of people think he shouldn't have been in that fight because of the injury that he didn't disclose that's a whole lot of drama and i feel like Mm -hmm. the the focus will be on that instead of the incredible career and the uh, legacy that he built and putting the 185 185 135 pound division those little guys quote unquote on the map he was one of those people that spearheaded it so I think it's going to unfortunately be outweighed for me. I'm going to try and look past that and look at the legacy before that. But for the general public, I think it'll be these last three years. Yeah. Do you really think it's the casual side though? Because I feel like a more casual fan may be even unaware of the the steroid or the steroid scandal, whatever you want to call it of TJ and only see the athletic achievements on paper, the, the two time champion, you know, maybe the pay-per-view headliner with, He's headlined with um, Cody Garbrandt, of course, and whatnot. So I feel like it's more the the hardcore fans that are going to cling to this uh, the steroid scandal and really or the EPO um, issue and really never let it die to the point where he's just always going to be remembered as that the snake and uh, mm. the get the EP the the CEO of EPO and all this stuff. So. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's it's self-inflicted, right? You know, he, he ultimately did the crime, if you want to call it a crime. He had to do the time. And that time, yeah, he had a, he served the suspension, but it doesn't mean that the court of public opinion uh, saw mercy on him after that. And uh, because of that, that's ultimately the price he had to pay. Um, I don't feel sorry for him. Honestly, I mean, I don't have an issue with TJ. He served his suspension. Yeah. You know, I, I was fine with him coming back. He he got a win over Corey, which 
controversial as it might be. Got the title fight. I wasn't mad at him getting a title fight. Uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, shades of gray in that kind of issue of a fighter going in, not disclosing an injury, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I had no issue with TJ getting the opportunities he was given, especially that title fight, because I said, guys, after you serve your suspension, you don't just fall to the bottom of the totem pole. The guy was the damn champion of the, of the division when he was putting on the suspension. He relinquished the title, so he should be back in the title picture. Um, but I, I don't necessarily feel sorry for him because I just think it's self-inflicted, but I will probably remember him more for the actual athletic achievements because, you know, uh, like I've said time and time again, I think if you really unveiled the curtain, you know, you would see that the majority of your favorite fighters have probably, uh, done or are doing some form of, um, enhancer steroid whatever epo i'm sure you would find the majority of fighters and even athletes in your other favorite sports are doing that so um it's kind of water under the bridge i guess for me so yeah i agree uh, the next next headline dom one fc mm. they had uh, been talking about of course their u.s debut they they have the partnership with amazon prime now uh, that's been going pretty good and now they've announced the debut. When that U.S. debut, when they will be hitting U.S. soil, Dom, and it'll happen on May 5th at the First Bank Center in Colorado, and it'll be headlined by the trilogy bout between Demetrius Johnson and Adriana Marais for the flyweight title. Your thoughts on this announcement and ultimately this fight being the one that spearheads and headlines this big card. I mean, if they're going to come to the United States, who else to have on that main event card than Demetrius Johnson is how I'm kind of viewing this here. I think it's going to get more attention than what another main event would do. That way he can garner some more viewers for the remainder of the card. Maybe they put another title fight as a co-main or something like that. Uh, I am curious to see how that card will fill out. That's quite a ways away now, six months. So I think it's awesome. I'm glad that they're trying to get more viewership here because they know how strong the sport has grown here in the United States over the past 30 years, essentially. Um, and one's kind of not forgotten, but, you know, for us, but, you know, significantly it's UFC, PFL, and Bellator here in the States. But one is huge when you look at it on a global scale. So bringing it over here, having an event, the one prime video was already a great move. Now, I hope this is a huge success for one. I really do. Mighty Mouse getting to headline in his home country again, too. It's probably, probably feels really good for him, Noah. It'll be very weird to see that rule set also implemented in the United States, the Ooh. knees to down opponents and stuff. Colorado, of course, that's why they went there because Colorado was the state that passed that rule set and put it into effect to where it's allowed to be used. Uh, I remember there was some backlash. Uh, uh, Mark Ratner, right? Am I saying that's that's his name, right? So um, mm -hmm. Mark Ratner was the one that uh, came down pretty hard on Colorado, saying they shouldn't have done that. But, you know, I'm excited to see how it, how it looks, you know, over in America. It should be interesting. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll move on to the rest of UFC 282. Let's start with Darren Till versus Drickus Duplessis. Dominic Drickus said in a little 
tidbit I heard. I'm not sure if this was from an interview or what. He said if Darren Till doesn't have an injury coming into a fight, into this fight, he sure will have an injury coming out of this fight. Mm. Your thoughts? I mean, if you looked at Drickus's last fight, I'd say you're damn right too, because you're probably both going to come out with an injury in that. Case. Yeah, yeah. I I still can't get over what we saw from Drickus in that last fight. I don't know what the fuck that was. Yeah. It was awesome, but it was also like I I was speech. I'm speechless now. I I don't know what to say. I mean, the man looked. He he both looked like the deadliest striker I've ever seen and also looked like a man who had never thrown a punch in his life. I don't know how to how else to explain it, Dom. It was absurd. But if he comes in with that kind of style where he was kind of chin up in the air, swinging a lot of punches, a lot of looping punches, I mean, Darren Till might have a field day here because we know Darren Till's an exceptional striker. And that's one thing he does very well on is he keeps it straight comes at you with a lot of punches and bunches, a lot of good combinations. It could be a field day for him, but we also know the personal and physical struggles that Darren Till's went through over the last few years. Um, he's even admitted recently that his head's not been in the right place and you know his body had just been kind of breaking down. It seems like he's had to drop out of a lot of fights over the last couple of years. So what kind of Darren Till are we going to get here? Are we going to get a close to 100% Darren Till? Or are we going to get the guy that came in against Derek Brunson with a damn torn ACL and looked like he had not really trained in weeks due to that? So uh, that's the question for you, Dom. Can we really expect the best Darren Till here? Or do we have to reserve some of those expectations until a little bit of believe it when you see it. Yeah, I think you have to at this point in time with Darren Till. I mean, this is a guy that's fought three times since November 2nd, 2019. Three fights in three years, one fight a year. He's had major injuries. He's had to pull out of a plethora of fights. Um, I mean, it sucks, but we're previewing this fight, and I don't even know if it's going to fucking happen on Saturday. Like, I just hope we get to see him get to the octagon and then when that cage door closes, this should be a potential fight of the night contender. Drickus is going to bring it. Darren's a great striker, and he's very clean on the feet. But Drickus has a lot of power. We've seen Darren Till get halted by power before. I just, I, I don't think you can, even if you're a Darren Till fan, and I respect you for it, you can't come in here and think he's just going to look like he once did because we just haven't seen that Darren Till in a long time, mm -hmm. Noah. I mean, really, even the Darren Till that beat Kelvin Gastelum wasn't that same Till that was going into the Tyron Woodley fight. Like, when that fight happened, it seems like it's just changed the trajectory of his career. He's missed a lot of primetime years as well. Granted, he's only still 29. I just have my reservations, and I think that's deserved, unfortunately. I do think you're right that there's a bit of you know, we haven't seen that same guy, but when you really look back on it, Dom, if you ever said after the Cowboy Cerrone performance where Darren Till looked like a fucking stud, even what fight since then has really looked like that? Because even if you go before, obviously Tyron Woodley uh, smashed him, but before that, the Stephen Thompson fight was certainly not 
uh, mm-hmm. the kind of fight to write home about. It wasn't the kind of fight that normally would put someone in a title fight. But Darren Till just had the star power about him, this this glow, this guy that was just you know rising through the ranks, and he beat one of the top contenders at the time in Wonder Boy. They really felt like they just strap a rocket to him, and then obviously he got knocked down a peg. I almost wonder if when people say, you know, what you just said, where, you know, we just haven't seen the same Darren Till in so long, you know, even the Kelvin Gastelum fight and all that, he's not that same guy. I just don't know if he was ever really that guy, Mm. to be honest with you. Um, I like the guy a lot. I want to believe that he, some of that potential that we still see for him is still there, but Maybe we were all just duped by the UFC hype machine from day one. Cowboy Cerrone admitted going into that fight, he had never heard of Darren Till, had never watched a single fight of his, and then he went in there and got smashed. Well, yeah, because, I mean, did you not hear what I just said? The guy literally didn't really even prepare for his opponent. He just sort of prepared for a fight, and he got a guy that was a really good striker. That's going to happen. But ever since then, when he's fought top, more top-level competition, and there's not been a fight that's really told me he's the guy that the UFC told me he was. Yeah. That's just the truth of the matter. He's looked good in some of his losses. I mean, the Robert Whitaker fight, I thought was one of the best performances he's had in his career, and he lost that fight. Mm-hmm. The Kelvin Gastelum fight, he showed flashes. Uh, he was very humble afterwards and um, admitted some of his personal struggles going into that. He didn't even want to fight and all this stuff. The Stephen Thompson fight for him to be so young and and not have fought really a guy of Wonder Boy's caliber to go in and even have a competitive fight on the feet with him and hurt him late in that fight was interesting, even if you don't think he should have won. So he showed flashes for sure, but I'm just not certain if he's ever really been the kind of guy that we keep thinking he's capable of being or has been if that makes sense yeah and now i almost wonder and not to the same extent here but drickus duplessis a guy with a lot of hype and momentum he's got three wins in the ufc but now he is dabbling into that deep end brad tavares was a ranked opponent that's a great win you're taking a step up here in darren till however I guess you could say maybe it's not. Maybe this isn't that big of a step up from Brad Tavares. It's going to depend on what Oof, kind of dare until no. we see in the Octagon Saturday. But now Drickus is entering that same sort of territory that we were talking about with Darren until he's entering the upper echelon. Can he put on good performances still? Can he get finishes? Can he put on good fights? There's a lot of questions in this fight on Saturday, I think. Yeah, for sure. And actually, the next fight, Dom, is the matchup I am most excited for on this entire card. And that's because we have two guys that both have looked excellent, who both have showed tons of potential, who have been murdering guys. And now they're going up against one another to determine who's really the guy the UFC are going to push to the moon, I, I assume, anyways. Bryce Mitchell, that's the man with the camo shorts, the man who drilled uh, his nutsack on accident. Um, he's a conspiracy theorist, you know, all that stuff. He's going up against hand sanitizer boy, Ilya Tuporia. 
So what an interesting kind of choose your fighter little character screen we got here. You got hand sanitizer boy versus camo conspiracy nut job. So I love it though. I love this fight. I love these two guys as characters of the sport. I think they're yes. Uh, let me tread lightly on the Bryce Mitchell one. I understand that a lot of his comments or a lot of his views are very controversial. They're, um, some may say dangerous or whatever you want to say, but, um, you know, I tend to not take things too seriously. Um, some will look at that and say I should or should whatever, but because of that, I just think that they're both colorful characters and I sort of appreciate them for that reason. Uh, they add a little something different to the sport, something you would never see like in our other major sports of America. <laughs> and maybe we shouldn't, but it's fun that MMA kind of still has some of these types of people hanging around. And, but really, regardless of that, the main thing here is the matchup, Dom. And that's because both these guys, like I said before, have looked phenomenal. You know, Bryce Mitchell coming off that win over Edson Barboza just uh, basically yes. swept the cards easy. That was a big step up for him. Ilya Tuporia yet to have that big of a step up, but this is his moment. So while Bryce Mitchell yes. and him are in similar places in their career, because the winner of this really gets cat, you know, gets the the jetpack strapped to him and shot to the moon. Bryce Mitchell's already got that legitimate win. Ilya Tuporia is trying to use Bryce Mitchell as his legitimate win. So when this matchup is um, kind of being broken down in your eyes, Dom, Tuporia, though, slight favorite on this card. You know, why is that? Why is Tuporia a favorite? I feel like more people wear Bryce Mitchell. So maybe explain to the people why Ilya Tuporia is a slight favorite. I feel like Ilya Tuporia is coming in as the favorite probably because I think when you really do break it down, he just has more ways to win. Like, Bryce Mitchell, yes, can submit you and win a decision. So it's like, oh, that's two out of the three methods, Dom. What are you saying? But if you really do look into it there in terms of, like, the defense for Ilya, too, he's pretty good on the ground. Let us not forget he has more submission wins in his career than he does knockout wins. So he's going to be no slouch down there against Bryce. I think he has the skill set to keep it on the feet. And we've been saying, and I know we were saying it going into Mitchell's fight against Barboza, we wanted to see him continue to get better and better on the feet. And I think we've seen small, small little glimpses, but we haven't got to see it over the, a long period of time. I feel like if anybody's going to bring that out of him, it could be Ilya Taporia, because I don't know if he's going to get taken down at will like all these other opponents are that Mitchell has faced. And don't let the UFC fool you guys. This is somebody's O. Oh, has got to go. Bryce Mitchell is 15-0. Don't let that one loss that the UFC shows fool you. That's from the ultimate fighter. I don't know why they won't take it off of his record. This is 15-0 versus 12-0. Potential next future title contender, if you will, in this featherweight division. Something's got to give. And Noah painted it perfectly. Bryce does have that one notch above Ilya. So the fact that Ilya is using Bryce to try and get that uh, back in terms of their race to the top makes it even more of an interesting dynamic. The personalities, mm -hmm. the fight styles, everything about it, phenomenal fight. Probably, yeah, I would say yep. most excited fight on the card. 
completely agree. Let's move on to the prelims. Jarzinho, Rosenstreich, Chris Dawkins. Dominic, I feel like these guys have fought 72 times already. Yes. Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Is this fight not headlined like 10 fight nights in 2022? It really is one of those heavyweight fights, huh? No. <laughs> it just be I swear to God. I saw this on, on when I was looking at the card today. I said, huh? They're fighting again? And then I looked and I was like, wait a minute. These guys have never fought one another. I mean, it, what, is this seven degrees of bacon or whatever they call it? Like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that uh, that game. But um, I swear these two feel like they fought each other. And I don't know if that's really a compliment to this fight, to be honest with you. I Both these guys are in a tough spot, right? They're kind of just bogged down in this middle of the heavyweight division. Not a lot of positive momentum. But certainly have the potential to string some wins together, make themselves a more legitimate threat moving forward. Um, Chris Dawkins feels like the guy with more potential, but after back-to-back main event losses where he got finished uh, by Derek Lewis and then Curtis Blades, you know, it's really halted some of that momentum. You know, there was a whole debate, Dom, if Chris Dawkins or uh, Tom Aspinall were going to be the the next guy in the heavyweight division and i know tom aspinall out with injury for a while but it's pretty clear who won that race at least for now and while rosenstroik you know the guy he's good but i've always had kind of a foot out the door with him even when he he got he started getting some hype because he did what every guy that gets hype in this division does and that's knock out andre arlovsky and then from there, he had that big five-round main event with Alistair Overeem on ESPN where Overeem was winning the majority of the fight, but then Rosenstreich had one of the craziest knockouts in the final, like, 10 seconds. It was one of the wildest knockouts. I mean, the force of that thing, I mean, my man um, Overeem flew off the cage. It was crazy. But um, I've just never been super high on him. So I kind of like the upside of Dawkins more, but I kind of think Rosenstreich might be better right now. I'm curious your thoughts on that assessment. Yeah, fun fact, actually, that fight happened three years ago at the time we're recording this, just for Noah's fun. And also for Noah's sanity, thank goodness this isn't at least a fight night main event. Um, But yeah, I don't know, I don't know, Noah, who the better fighter is right now. Everything is so similar. They both love the knockout. They both, you know, look, number nine and number 11, 34 and 33. They're both coming in on two fight losing streaks. I, there's a lot of similarities here, man. I, part of me wants to side with like Dawkins, maybe the more well-rounded guy, but until I really do see him prove it, cause you know, egg on my face, I really did believe that he could potentially beat Aspinall on that race originally. And you guys know how big of a fan I am of Tom, but then I'm like, well, He's only been doing these real quick first-round knockouts. Like, what really does he have to that full skill set here? Rosenstreich, I guess, we've at least seen him go longer in fights. You know, he's went to a couple decisions and stuff, but even then he doesn't show me a ton. So I don't know who's better. And Noah, dare I say, the winner of this, whoever it may be, I still won't even know if they're better uh, after Saturday's over with. That's the type of fight that this is. If you, I mean, 
that's the thing about this fight. I hate to be so mellow about it, but not there will be nothing learned by either of these guys. No matter who wins or loses, I can assure you this will be the result that I forget the most from this card come six months from now. Like if you ask me, you know, to name fights from this card, I'd probably name every fight on this card. And this one would be the one I'd forget. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just assumed it happened 10 other times in fight night main events in 2022. Right. Exactly. Anyways, next fight, Chris Curtis still got that number 15 next to his name. Looks to bounce back against Joaquin Buckley. Who's certainly been making a decent run recently. Um, surprising odds on this one, I must say. And I want to know your thoughts on those odds. Do, do they surprise you at all? Oh, I'm going to have to wait until they tick across my screen because I'm not remembering them. I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, Joaquin Buckley is the favorite in this matchup, though. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Curtis coming back like plus 132 or something. Shit, that might I'm, be really good. I'm very it. surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, I think I would agree. And honestly, too, like... This is a pretty fun fight. At least on paper, it should be a really fun fight. Chris Curtis looking to bounce back after he took that short notice fight against Jack Hermanson um, as a main event. Joaquin Buckley coming off of a loss to Imavov. That was a really solid fight, though. And I think, like, there's not much to hang your hat on for losing to Nasruddin Imavov, in my opinion. Plus, Joaquin got a big Mm. jump up in that fight. So I'm glad he's still getting a chance to grab a ranking here at UFC 282. It should be a striking match. But I'll say both these guys are a lot more well-rounded than what their fights say. And I think we've seen more of that from Buckley. We've seen him utilize grappling. We've seen his cardio improve a lot fight by fight. And for Chris Curtis, his takedown defense is incredible. Very good boxer. This is a really fun fight, a really interesting fight, honestly, to me, too. I feel like it's a pick em. Uh, What do you What do you make of the odds since you seem pretty surprised? Well, I'm suspended from betting on the sport of MMA, as yeah. you all know. I'm suspended from the below-average bet slip. But if I could bet on MMA, then I would be hammering. And I can assure you my ghost bets for the week, I'm, I might do a, a, a two-unit ghost bet, which doesn't really matter because I still have to get all three of them right. But just for my own, I might do. I might even do three units, Dom. Chris Curtis money line. The value is there, people. Because even though Buckley's certainly not like he shouldn't be a large underdog, but I I've been more impressed from the body of work I've seen of Chris Curtis in comparison. Now Joaquin Buckley's obviously had some amazing moments, twenty twenty knockout of the year, among others. But I also think that like you're saying, a lot of people underestimate Buckley's well rounded game because his big moments have been those flashy highlight real KOs when really he's much more than that. Um, I think Chris Curtis is the smarter fighter though. Um, I think he's the more, I want to say he's the more composed fighter, but then you kind of look at his performance with Jack Hermanson and that was anything but composed. Yeah. So I guess the way I'll word it is if a fight is in his comfort zone, he tends to be much more composed, which is kind of a duh. But I'm just saying that it, it, that's you know he does a good job of keeping fights at a range in a style that is comfortable with him. He's done it in multiple of his UFC fights. So because of that, I'm going to lean Chris Curtis, two-unit ghost bet. 
And uh, any other thoughts, Dom, before we move on to the last one? Maybe a third unit, Noah. That's all I'm saying. Here we go. Agreed. Billy Q taking on Alexander Hernandez. So Billy Corntillo back. You know, Billy Corntillo feels like with each fight, they they do these massive jumps and then massive backpedals and the kind of competition they put him up against. You know, Billy Q gets a top 15, like nearly top 10. And then he goes back to fighting a guy who's kind of middling in the unranked category. And then he gets a win over that, and he gets catapulted back into the top 15 and then back into the – so I feel like here gets Alexander Hernandez, of course, at one time a guy that people thought might be the – or maybe he was the self-proclaimed future of the division or whatever he had to say at the time. Um, He's not really been that, though. He's sort of uh, middled out. I think he kind of is who he is at this point, a a good fighter but not great. And uh, Billy Q should win this fight, but Alexander Hernandez certainly has the strength and overall, like, I feel like he has a strength advantage here, and that could be much to his benefit against a guy like Billy Q, but uh, I think Billy Q should win this fight and will win this fight. Oh, I like the confidence there, Noah. I think this is a really interesting matchup. It's two guys that are coming off of losses, but it's two really good competition, and what happened to be, like, you know, big jump-ups. Billy Q fought against Burgos, and uh, Hernandez fought against Hanato Moicano, Noah's favorite fighter for 2022. Mm, So this is a really – because Hernandez, like you said, all that hype. I'm pretty sure, by the way, guys, he was the last guy to beat Manil Dariush, and he knocked him out. I'm just saying it's kind of a crazy stat (laughs) there. That's that's a good point. Yeah, but Billy Q, it's been a year since he's fought, so I worry a little bit about like the ring rust here against Hernandez, who's been active. I don't really know how I see this one going. I'm I'm interested and fascinated that you're pretty confident in Billy Q. I'd mm-hmm. like to think I am, but you just never know what you're going to get with Alexander Hernandez. Sometimes he looks like a world beater, and other times he just leaves a lot to be desired, man. I don't know. Billy Q, I just feel like even in defeat, is a more consistent fighter. You know what you're at least yeah. going to get from Billy Q. 100%. 100% more consistent. And I just think that Alexander Hernandez, outside of, since that Benil Dariush win, any of his wins since then have never been to very credible or legit opponents. Yes, yeah. I could regret saying that, but I feel like that's probably no, true. No, it's, it's true. Yeah. It seems like when he gets that step up is where he struggles, and Billy Q is that step up for him. Although, coming off a loss to Hinato Moicano, has he fought since then? Has that he was fought his since last fight. Up? When was that fight? Okay. That, was that was in like, uh, February. That was February. Yeah. So really with the ring rust thing, I mean, it's not been that much sooner since we saw yeah, Alexander really. Hernandez, you know, November to February. So I'll just say that Moicano fucking steamrolled Hernandez. And yeah. it feels like he's getting a tough follow-up draw in Billy Q, a guy who... Yeah, lost to Shane Burgos, but that was an amazing fight. And yeah. one that Billy Q was fully in there from start to finish. So I think it's a tough draw for sure for Alexander Hernandez. Safe to say you feel comfortable with a minus 170 money line on Billy Q. You like that line? Yeah, it might be a ghost bet for this week. It might do two units on that one. I mean, I might just <laughs> oh, be hammering <laughs> Might be hammering a ton of units here. I don't know, but... uh With that, Dominic, there's only one way we end the show around here, and that's with the little thing we like to call closing statements. Part of the show where me and Dominic talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not, 
Dominic, you're, you, you've made it through to the finish line here of your flu game. I'm curious if there's any closing statements to send us out for this Thursday. Yeah, I actually do have one. It's related to medicine because I've been on a lot of meds this week. It's a kind of a two-parter because, one, do you prefer pills or liquid when you're taking, like, your, your flu meds and all that fun stuff? And if it is a liquid, which I'm assuming a lot of people are going to say, at least I would think, what do you kind of prefer? Because I've had three different kinds this week. NyQuil and DayQuil have come out with a honey-flavored. Apparently, honey's really good for when you're sick, so people are starting to throw that in medicine. I've had cherry. And the OG from being a little kid was great. But does anybody have a go-to flavor or are they all just ass? Let me know because mm. I have found myself at least not doing as many <laughs> after I take the honey-flavored medicine <laughs> compared to some of the other ones. So let me know. Not having the heebie-jeebies yeah. after taking a shot. Um, yeah. There was some medicine as a kid where you like almost wanted to get sick so you could drink <laughs> some of that medicine. Was that grape? I don't remember what it medicine may have that been. was. I feel like I know what you're there talking was about. Some, there was some liquid medicine that you would take as a kid. Maybe it was bubblegum flavored. I don't know. Or maybe that's the one that you get the heebie-jeebies on. I'm, yeah. I'm unsure. Um, I'm, give me the pills all day. I take oh. pills like a fucking champ. Three at a time, Dom. Woo! That's what oh. this small mouth, big throat. He can't bop for apples when he can down the pills. <laughs> so I've been on. I've been getting a lot of practice <laughs> over the last year. Um, but even in even when I was growing up, my mom's like, man, because my sister, I guess, used to always bitch about as a little kid about having to take pills. So my mom would always have to get her the liquids. Whenever she laid a pill out for me. Pop that sucker in there. Yeah. Didn't even need to drink any water. Just cocked the head back, <laughs> swallowed that thing. That's no, I'm impressive. just kidding. I definitely had to have okay. water. But okay. um, but no, dude, three at a time. That's impressive. I mean, if someone can do more than that, let me know. But I, I may try to even. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, it's, instead of doing bobbing for apples in the fall, we're just going to do popping pillies uh, little battle prescription of course you know if you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Right. of course of course for research purposes yeah yeah but uh my name's noah baker that's dominic sleeve we are but just two of the below average joes and we'll see you guys on monday